Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. years ago, still at St. John's, Nativity of John the Baptist, which occurs towards the end of June, fell on a Sunday. And being anyone who, would, who likes to talk about something different out of the green season, I thought, hey, that sounds like a good idea. We should do it for Sunday morning. So we did. I believe Thomas was about a year old. He might have been two years old. So I was a brand new dad still, just over a year old. And my sermon that day kind of caused a little bit of a, of a ruckus of sorts. My sermon this day was a, consisted of a reflection from the standpoint of Zechariah over his son's birth, announcement and birth. I talked about how Zechariah, because he was a priest and knew scriptures, because he had to be a, those scriptures in order to be a priest, knew what a prophet's life consisted of. And that perhaps Zachariah surprised, unbelief to his wife's pregnancy might also have included a bit of a surprise that God would want to choose his son. His son that he's waited his entire life to have. His son and only son. Choose him to be a prophet. And I said in that sermon that, that I hope God would, never, would not choose any of my children to be a church worker pastor, a deacon, which apparently some of the congregation were quite surprised that I would feel this way because, you know, it's part of my job. I should encourage people to go into the ministry. Why would I want my own children to go into the ministry? That doesn't make any sense. And they were equally surprised to find out that my father actually offered to buy me a brand new 2012 Ford Mustang two-door convertible top blue, dark, dark blue. I gave up a Mustang for this, right? So either I'm really called or really a, a moron at some days, I think. I gave up a car. And I, and I never understood my dad's offer. Because, you know, at the time, I was like, well, I need a job, Dad. Like, ministry, it is a job. But it wasn't until after I started having my own kids. And while I, I love what I'm doing, it's not an easy job most days. And, and I truly believe that, that we can all serve God in many various vocations. That a plumber serves God just as much as I serve God. That the guy on the back of a garbage truck serves God just as much as I serve God. Right? It's not easy being a pastor. And, and I, I feel this immense pressure you know, to protect my children. Thomas was, um, he came downstairs at Heritage Days yesterday and decided it was going to be a good idea for him to walk out front of the church and look at the little library without telling me. I nearly lost my mind, right? You know that feeling when your kids wander off, right? You feel this immense pressure as a, as a, as a parent to provide for them. And I'm sure Zachariah felt this immense pressure to care for his only son. But he knew that his son's life would be rather tumultuous. 
It was not going to be easy. And that John's life will most likely end tragically, as did most of the lives of the prophets end tragically. Yet this, this parable that Jesus tells is nothing like the thoughtful parent that, that, we, that we are, right? He, he tells this story, uh, this parable about a dad who puts his own son's life on the line in order to take back what is rightfully his. Really worth it? Because they've already killed or injured a set of slaves, two sets of slaves that he sent. Is it really worth risking your son's life? And of course, from my standpoint, the answer is no. It's not worth it. Let him have it. Or at the very least, send a detachment of armed guards with the boy to take back the vineyard. Yet his father did none of this. He sent his son to deal with, a hostile, with hostile tenant farmers who have taken what was not theirs and made it their own. And they kill him. It's a strange parable, right? I mean, if it wasn't for what we know is about to come, what, what awaits Jesus' future in just five chapters, this parable would be heard, I think, very differently. I don't think we would call it the parable of the wicked tenants. I think we would call it the parable of the foolish dad. Sounds like it's a parable about a dad, a foolish dad who likes nothing more than obtaining profits. It sounds like a story out of Star Trek with the Ferengi. Heartless and reckless, do anything for profit. Yet we read this parable with the knowledge of the cross in it, right? We read this parable and hear the story of Jesus, God's only son who was sent into the world to take back what is rightfully God's and was ultimately killed by the tenants of the world. As I sat and pondered this, this parable, I was trying to figure out, is there any real way to justify the tenant's actions? And, and I, I can't justify it, but, but I think clarity is an important thing to be done here. For starters, most of us know nothing about wine other than the fact that we like it and we like drinking it. And very few of us know anything about running a winery other than we like to go to wineries. Sip wine on a Sunday afternoon and watch the fog roll in over the mountains. But in Jesus' world, most people were dependent on wine because the water was undrinkable. It was safer to drink wine than to drink water from a well. Vineyards were more than just a beautiful place to spend a Sunday afternoon. They were a necessary part of life. And I think because we don't really know much about wineries or wines... It's kind of fallen away. Some of the meaning in this parable has really kind of fallen away. And we, we assume that the guy who planted the vineyard plants it and then comes back like three months later to harvest time. But most grapes take about five years to grow from the time you plant it to the time that they produce fruit. And Jesus tells us in this parable that after the owner planted the vines in the vineyards and then put the fence around it, dug a wine press, put all the infrastructure into place. He leased the tenants, and then he left and went to another country. The owner of the vineyard hasn't been around for probably five or plus years. And five years is a long time, especially when the life expectancy is like 35 to 40 years old. Five years of no contact with any of the tenant farmers. What it sounds like 
is that the tenant farmers act as though the owner of the vineyard is dead. They believe that he's died, which makes sense. It's been five years, no contact whatsoever, not a letter, not a, not a telegram, nothing. But then why kill the son, the rightful heir? It doesn't make any sense, right? Sort of, though. I think what they're thinking is that that killing the son means that they can now make a claim on the vineyard. Because they believe he's the owner of the vineyard is dead, and the son is the heir, and he's coming to collect his inheritance. And so if they kill the son, the, his, the owner's only son, the only heir to the property, they can make a claim before a judge and say, hey, the owner of the vineyards died, and so has his son. We have been here for five years. We have spent our entire five years working on making this vineyard what it is today. We should receive. They can make that claim in court because the son's dead and nobody else can contract. They act as if they bought the land, did all the work of planting the vines, building the fence, building the industry needed to make the grapes into wine. The owner of the vineyard, though, does all that. He is the one who invests all of the time, treasure, and resource. And it's the owner of the vineyard who chooses to allow the tenants to tend to the vines and all that the owner has created. So what then is this parable then saying about the kingdom of God? You know, a few weeks ago, we heard a parable. We learned that God, that the kingdom of God is not fair. And thank God it is. Because if it was fair, none of us would get in. And last week, we heard about how the kingdom of God is full of hypocrites, which is pretty good news because we're all hypocrites. So that means there's a place for us in God's kingdom. And this week, the kingdom of God is owned by God. Everything in the kingdom has been created by God. God has put together the capital to purchase the kingdom. He established the infrastructure and planted the vineyard. And we are but mere tenants in God's kingdom. And you know, I think sometimes that we, we forget that. Just as the tenants forgot that they're just mere tenants. Sometimes we as the tenants in God's kingdom believe that, you know, that God is dead. Maybe not really believe it, but we act that way, right? But here's the thing. Killing or injuring the representatives of the owner of the vineyard won't get you the kingdom of God. Killing the man's son won't get you the kingdom Instead, we must see that being tenants of God's kingdom includes certain responsibilities on our parts. It is clear that in the early church, remembering the poor was a requirement of being a Christian. But is our responsibility deeper than just, say, remembering the poor in our thoughts and prayers? Think about this imagery of a, of a vineyard, of an orchard that, that Jesus keeps coming back to in his parables. And when a tree bears fruit, it's not for the sake of of a tree, but for the others who receive nourishment from the fruit. Animals, from small worms to large beasts, can eat the fruit that this tree brings. Humans can even harvest the fruit and sell it as food to others. Christian fruit bearing are acts done for the good of others. We live for the sake of others as Christians. One question that I posed in Bible study this week that I also want to pose 
I think it's good that we all think about it this week, is what, is, what keeps us from making decisions and acting in ways that will help our congregation bear fruit in God's kingdom? What's holding us back? Is it public opinion? Is it lack of resources? What is the thing that's holding us back from bearing fruit and serving others? I think we can, we can all understand that all that we have is God's. Everything that we have here is God's. This, this whole place is God's. God created for us to use. This ministry is God's. Our spouse is a gift from God. Your possessions, your retirement, everything that you have in this world is a gift from God. How are we living for the sake of others with what God has given to us? Or do we sometimes act like these tenants who think that because we have all worked really hard and that the, the, the owner of the vineyard hasn't been around for a few years, that we really deserve the nice things? That the owner can go find a new vineyard? Because that's not the gospel. In fact, I think that's heresy. What is the gospel? What is the truth is that everything we have is a gift from God and we can be... And it can be taken away from us if we abuse, mistreat, or misuse it. And if this message upsets you, then you're probably going to be really upset when you get to heaven. The tenants seeking to do what they think will be good for themselves, the tenants, they, they continue to think that you know, what we're doing and acting in a way that is good for themselves, such as you know, they think that keeping the fruit, killing the slaves and the sun, and seeking to inherit the property, rejecting the audience authority, you know, by doing all these things that they do in this parable, they only bring destruction upon themselves. Selfishness, it can be a deadly thing for both individuals and groups. How are we living for the sake of others? How is our congregation living for the sake of others? Will we rather die than reach out and seek to grow, i.e. bear fruit in God's kingdom? Because the kingdom of God is not ours. It's not fair and it's full of hypocrites. The chief priests and the Pharisees, after hearing these past three parables that Jesus told, realized that Jesus was talking about them. But they didn't change their minds. In fact, they tried to figure out how to get rid of Jesus. How might we change our hearts and minds today? After hearing this parable live differently.